You are listening to The John DePietro Show on AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, dePietro.com. Well, first of all, welcome to February. Secondly, it's official. Tom Brady has retired again. A little odd, the whole thing. I'm not going to go through a big thing. There's plenty of outlets, platforms, places if you want to get more information about it. But just a couple of uh, observations about it. It was just the uh, just the other day he like erupted at Jim Gray. They do like I th- I believe they do a weekly segment together, and Jim Gray, who he does a segment with, I believe it airs on Sirius XM. He erupted at him. Uh, with profanity about whether or not he was going to be coming back or retiring. So that was odd. I also believe last night that he was in, I think, L.A., and he walked the red carpet alone for this film that looks unwatchable, 80 for Brady. And then again, it, it looks like he woke up this morning and just decided, boom, and recorded a video. And maybe this time will stick. So now, obviously, and I get it, Boston media, Rhode Island media, everything now, it is going to be a day of Brady. February 1st now will be the second. This time he says it's for good. That's it. So I, I don't know. Something maybe was walking the red carpet alone. Maybe whatever it is. He said he would play till 45. He played till he was 45. Seemed to have some options for next year, but... Doesn't seem this time it's going to happen. Meanwhile, he now will seemingly have a very lucrative uh, position with uh, Fox, Fox Sports, and with Fox, uh, big time money. So, but Brady has announced his retirement again. I don't unless I, it seemed very sincere this time. It seemed very sincere, and um, so that's that. Now. What else is happening? Well, there's right now is there's been a heavy police presence near a Pawtucket home. So right at the corner of Pidge Avenue, Unity Street, they were seen there around 6.30. And they took someone out of there in handcuffs. They have police tape up around the area. And then a neighbor told, I think it was a Channel 10? I think it was Channel 10 that said that... Um, that they could, the neighbor could hear uh, someone calling a name out around 4.30. So I don't know what that's all about. So, but I'm sure there'll be some kind of a news um, update on that. And then, of course, we have the weather. So the big news, Brady announced he's retiring for good. We have to go through a full outlet now of people posting (laughs) pictures of Brady. And then it's also the Tyree uh, Nichols, excuse me, funeral is today. So that will obviously be a lot of national news. And then, as we speak, there's actually a raid that's happening. The FBI is once again searching the Biden beach house for documents. And then there's that, for crying out loud. So just, yeah, the the Department of Justice conducting a planned search. I call it a raid of his home in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. Now, also, Nikki Haley is uh, announcing she's running for president. She's going to break through. I think since she's doing it, we've only had Tom Brady has announced his retirement in a video on Twitter. You, um, It seems as though some people have been holding off and that 
since November, President Trump's been the only one out there. I believe Nikki Haley pushing through is now going to start to open the door. Mike, I believe Mike Pompeo will announce. I believe Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is going to announce. And then I believe the governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp, is going to announce. I believe the governor of Virginia, Glenn Youngkin, is going to announce. So there's going to be some kind of a field. All right, I want to go... Um, here is a story. Teen accused of faking, faking cancer diagnosis, tricking well-wishers into donating thousands of dollars. This is the problem why I don't post any of these GoFundMes, because there is too much uh, fraud involved. But listen to uh, this piece. Treatment where I, I can't go anywhere. I, I can't do anything. This morning, an Iowa TikToker accused of faking a cancer diagnosis, charged with stealing from people who donated to help her battle a disease authorities say she doesn't have. Investigators say Madison Russo took more than $37,000 from Maddie's fight against pancreatic cancer. A GoFundMe set up on her behalf, captured by ABC affiliate WQAD, that's now been taken down. This week is... Uh, not a chemo week, it's just a radiation week. Authorities allege Russo spent the past year claiming she'd been diagnosed with leukemia, stage 2 pancreatic cancer, and a tumor the size of a football that wrapped around her spine. Posting huh. dozens of photos and videos like this, she's since taken down, now reposted on TikTok by another user. So it's my week off chemo, so I've just been doing um radiation police tell us they're reviewing all of russo's posts as part of the investigation in a press release saying witnesses with medical experience pointed out the many medical discrepancies including terrible life-threatening inaccuracies of her medical equipment placement on her body so you can see that the actual positioning of the port per se is not accurate also the way that it's secured the type of tape that's used is not the same clinical tape that we would use in the hospital authorities say russo's Subpoenaed medical records show she's never been diagnosed with any kind of cancer or wow. tumor. But her alleged lies reached so far, her story was featured in a local Iowa paper. And she even did outreach for the National Pancreas Foundation. Oh my. That organization <laughs> now tells ABC News there are thousands of patients, families, and caregivers battling this terrible disease. And Miss Russo's actions have taken away valuable resources from these patients. Uh. Louis Frillman is one of hundreds who gave to the GoFundMe supporting Russo. His $500 donation wow. has been refunded. My thinking is say a prayer for this young kid because she's going to have a lot of terrible consequences. And Russo and her family did not respond to multiple requests for comments. She's posted $10,000 bond. She did that shortly after her arrest. She's now due in court next month, guys. Was her bond a uh, set up by a GoFundMe? We don't know. So today is the funeral. Today is the funeral. Well, let me get to uh, two different stories. First of all, the cold that's going to be heading our way. Looks like this Friday and Saturday are going to be days not to leave the House. All right, let's go to George Santos. ...those calls to resign, but many Republicans here on Capitol Hill are relieved that he's stepping away from his committee assignments. 
This morning, facing growing calls to resign, embattled Congressman George Santos making one concession, stepping down from his committee assignments on Capitol Hill. Did McCarthy tell you to, to step I'm away sorry? from the committees? Or Nobody tells me to do anything. Speaker McCarthy has a razor-thin majority and has held off on criticizing Santos as he faces multiple investigations. I think it was an appropriate decision that Tilly can clear everything up if he's off the committees right now. The congressman said he worked for Goldman Sachs and Citigroup. He didn't. That he graduated from college. Not true. That his grandparents survived the Holocaust and his mother was in the 9-11 attacks. All of that a lie. And this morning, ABC News speaking exclusively with multiple men who say they dated Santos in the past, describing those relationships as toxic, saying he promised green cards and used an alias. Santos did not respond to our request for comment. Back in his home district, even voters who supported him say he needs to step down. If I can go back and change my vote, I probably would. A new poll finding nearly 80% of voters in his district say he should resign, including 71% of Republicans. I thoroughly apologize for lying about my education and embellishing the resume. I've made that very, very clear. In a new interview, Santos says he will now focus on his constituents. I don't think lying is excusable ever, period. What I might have done during the campaign does not reflect what is being done in the office. But he he's remains a pathological liar. His term. He's got legal problems. No, I'm not. He's got major legal problems. One New York Republican calling this a classic case of quitting before you get fired. But many Republicans here on Capitol Hill see this as in their best interest. They are pushing to remove several Democrats from committees for their behavior, and they want to avoid all of this looking like a double standard, George. He has, so that aside, he, he does have some very serious legal trouble uh, looming because of – he was basically set up a Ponzi scheme, which I've actually kind of talked about a little bit. Folks, again, you're listening to the John DePietro Show. I want to go back to um, – that was an extraordinary press briefing. Yes, Tom Brady is still retired. Uh, that was an extraordinary press briefing yesterday with um, – the man claiming self-defense with the, the Providence landlord homicide. I, I think it sounds like he's got a very strong self-defense. And, and as someone, one thing Rhode Island is not short of is we have very good criminal defense attorneys around here. So depending on who he hires, he can totally beat this. I don't know if it's even going to pass to a grand jury. Here we go. On a murder investigation in Winsocket, police say the victim was killed by his own daughter. I'm Shannon Heggie. I'm Mike Montecalvo. It's a story we first brought you last night on 12 News at 10 on Fox Providence News today. 38-year-old Jennifer Pamula is charged with domestic first-degree murder. Her father, 70-year-old Joseph Pamula, was found dead inside his home uh. on Cato Street in Winsocket last night. Police say both people lived at the home. Jennifer has not yet been arraigned. Authorities are not yet revealing how her father, Joseph, was killed. Turning now to another homicide investigation, a dispute in Providence turns deadly. Police say the man who fired his weapon is claiming self-defense after the building's landlord showed up with two others and weapons. There's a lot to unpack yeah. here. 12 News reporter Sheena Lorchuto explains more good, live now from Providence. Very good self-defense. Well, this is the city's first deadly shooting of the year. And right now, Providence police say they know who pulled the trigger when it came to that fatal shooting. But right now, it's unclear if or what charges that person would face for it. 
This is a uh, terrible situation. A landlord goes to evict someone, bringing her brother and friend and some weapons. That's what Providence police say is believed to have yeah, happened like the moments norm. before that landlord was fatally shot. And what's done is done, and we can't change that. But uh, never thought of it that way. Know, we have to uh, we have to investigate it and and get to the absolute truth and the facts of what happened. Major David LePayne says 36-year-old Rufus Watson was the one being evicted, and while this is happening, police say he was inside the third-floor apartment with an AR-15. The landlord's group eventually kicks down the door, and that's when police say Watson pulled the trigger. As Mr. You know, Watson would describe it as a uh, self-defense shooting. When police got there, the landlord, identified as Jenny Jensen, was shot and on the floor. She was later pronounced dead. Police have not exactly said what kind of weapons Jensen's group had, but say Watson is the only person who fired. We'll work with the attorney general's office and we'll come out with the right, the right uh, outcome. Watson is facing multiple weapons charges for allegedly having an illegal firearm. As for any charges directly related to the fatal shooting, LePayton says that investigation will continue. We will gather the evidence and do the entire investigation and bring it. Probably will be brought in front of a grand jury. Yeah. Hey, now, they... they... Today, it hasn't even been 30 hours yeah. since that. Well, they, they kicked in the door. And, I mean, I, I think it's going to be self-defense. Hey, how about this is embarrassing. The one current, one former North Providence police officers embezzling from their police union. This is really embarrassing. It is so unnecessary. This has been, uh, this investigation has been going on for quite some time. And now they've finally, boy, the wheels of justice for, certainly turned slowly. But this is very embarrassing for uh all the police the in North in Providence. Superior Court today charged with embezzlement and fraudulent conversion of money from the North Providence Fraternal Order of Police. Those officers, Detective Christopher Petarudi and retired Lieutenant Dennis Stone, who is also being charged with six counts of alleged tax fraud. Matt Paddock sat down with the North Providence Police Chief uh. to talk about the allegations. Matt? Well, according to court documents, both Dennis Stone and Christopher Petarudi are charged with multiple counts of embezzlement. Now, it's still unclear at this hour just how much money was stolen from their local police union. Disappointment. Yep. Uh, lack of trust. And uh. overall, I feel they let the agency down. Combined, Lieutenant Dennis Stone and Detective Christopher Petarudi have served four decades on the North Providence Police Department. But today, a grand jury returned a secret indictment against both Stone and Petarudi after years of investigation from the Attorney General's office into misappropriation of union funds. Uh, this morning, January 31st, uh, the is... indictments were unsealed. Al Ruggiero. defendants were North Providence Police Chief. Dennis Stone, who at one point was the union president, oh. charged with three counts of embezzlement and six counts of tax fraud. After according to court documents, Stone filed false tax returns, failing to disclose income earned from a Cranston restaurant. Detective Christopher Petarudi charged with two counts of embezzlement which, according to court documents, were for using union money to pay for admission fees to poker tournaments. Petarudi will be getting on suspension. This afternoon, oh. without pay, losing access to any police communications inside and outside the building. Ruggiero says other union members may have brought this situation to light. Good speculation that uh, members of FOP 13 
uh, felt there was some wrongdoing yep. uh, going on with uh, the union, went down to the attorney general's office Good. and made uh, them aware of right. these allegations. Wow. What a shame. You know, that is uh, unusual that one of them, the police officers, was also working part-time at Twin Oaks. So, um, all right. It's uh, Wednesday. The big news, Tom Brady. But you're listening to The John DePietro Show. The Coesed Inn. 226 Coesed Avenue in West Warwick, Rhode Island tradition since 1977. Delicious food, great atmosphere, whether it's lunch or dinner or drinks in the lounge. They can also accommodate large groups. A great meal, a feast is waiting for you at the Coesed Inn. Stop it and see them all year round. 226 Coesed Avenue in West Warwick. They're waiting for you at the Coesed Inn. Our segment is Politics This Week. With us is Justin Katz, managing editor at AnchorRising.com. Justin, this next story, it's a little unusual, and I, I don't think a lot of key elements of it have, uh, have surfaced or come out. But there's a story that broke that uh, there's an assistant principal at Mount Pleasant High School, and she sent out an email that one of the students still owes money to, um, as someone that has covered the border, if, if you want to get over it's a cottage industry. It's big business. They hire these. They call them coyotes, but they are the people. They're like the tour guides. They will ensure you pay them that you will, you know, get over the border. So there's a young man apparently in Mount Pleasant, and he still owes money to one of these, quote, coyotes that got him or got him and his family, whoever, into the country and sent out an email trying to <clears throat> raise money for him. So as much as people are saying, you know, it's incorrect. And, and I also want to point out the union attacked the vice principal because the vice principal of Mount Pleasant is not a member of the teachers union. You wouldn't hear anything about this if this was a teacher that did it. But besides some of the normal reactions of of um, the fact that, you know, it shouldn't be done and the principals, you know, said that that's not the proper place to do it. I think it also underscores, see, this is, to me, a larger part of the problem of a laws of making Providence a sanctuary city. Uh, many times when I'm in the city and there's kinds of violence that a house is shot up or things like that, make no mistake, the cartel, they'll come and they want their money or they'll go after your family down in Mexico or Guatemala, wherever you're from. So, but um, what are your thoughts on this situation of the fundraising email for the student for the coyotes well for me the top line red flag is that this assistant principal stephanie harvey <clears throat> she's taken down her twitter feed but apparently it did <coughs> excuse me identify her as a queer activist right in her twitter bio and yep. that's that's the red flag don't hire those people because they're not they don't see education as education to provide a service they see it as radical indoctrination and revolutionary activity right. <laughs> so it's perfectly in keeping that she'd want to want to help raise money for basically human traffickers to increase illegal immigration it's just part of the activism um notice again i'm not sure how someone like that uh, is in fact the uh, the vice principal. But I also notice, you know, if you just step back, you you never hear like Governor McKee saying, you know, or Lieutenant Governor Matos, they're Rhode Islanders. And Governor McKee saying they're part of the economy. And 
especially during COVID, there was an awful lot of talk about, you know, they're here. You and I discussed how they were counted as part of the census. Uh, they act, <clears throat> actively recruit, encourage illegals to come in. Some people are just completely confused and say, well, you know, how come they're not deported? Because they don't deport anyone. But Justin, I see this as it's politicians, mainly people like McKee, uh, who also is going to give them driver's licenses, Alorza Matos. They create an atmosphere, but it's almost like if you when you buy something like a, some kind of a drug at the at a pharmacy, they on the back, they have caution. Here are some of the the symptoms that can happen and some of the side effects. Well, to me, this is one of the side effects that if you're coming in illegally there more likely than not, involved with some kind of illegal network to get them here. And now you're opening the city and the state to this type of violence when you kind of allow these types of people to arrive in your state. Well, I think so. But I think I'm not sure that's a, a negative to the people who support this sort of stuff. I mean, the, the queer activists, this is what they want. The, they're, they're Marxist revolutionaries. They want things to be confused and broken down or they're trying to overturn the existing system. And that's what they I mean, that's why they're in education in the first place. A lot of these people, I think they, they want to make it. They want to make sure that it's difficult to exist in the existing system. This is why you get critical race theory, queer theory. They want people to be confused and, and unhappy and dissatisfied so that they become revolutionaries and bring about the socialist revolution. I think that's what you see with this sort of person. And it's to some extent, I think this assistant principal really just kind of said the quiet part out loud to some extent. I think this is our system increasingly in Rhode Island is built to foster this sort of attitude. And it's the, it's that whole collection of, of issues, the, the identity politics, the queer theory, the, the uh, illegal immigration, all the abortion stuff. It's disruptive. It's, it's supposed to do that. And so it's, it's really not that surprising. And I, it's almost, I wonder if you, you might've put your finger right on it where it's only surprising and it's only controversial because it's a way for the union to hit this particular non-union assistant principal. Yes. That's right. I mean, that's that may be it. I mean, otherwise they'd be oh, just fine with it. Yeah, let's pay the human traffickers to bring people to Rhode Island. And that goes back to, the, you know, that's their system. They want as many of these people as they can, as long as they can get other people to fund uh, all their public services. That's just dandy for them. And so that's that's where this yeah, I think it's a an indication of rot. I mean, sometimes when I was in construction, you would see a little spot on a ceiling and you kind of think, oh no, that could be something more important. And you, we better start taking things apart to fix that leak or whatever it was. Right. Uh, that's what we're seeing in these sorts of indications. And pe people really need to start to wake up to it. But I, I worry that nobody really feels like they can say anything because they, they're just, everybody's pinned down by accusations of racism. I mean, can you imagine Imagine a politician in Rhode Island trying to take advantage of this for for as part of their to set up forward a different kind of agenda. It would be they'd be white supremacists, they'd be racist, they'd be attacked, their their life their livelihood would be gone after, their employer would be contacted. So I I I'm not sure there's any way for our political system to adjust uh, against what's really a, a destructive destructive uh, movement in our state. And don't don't doubt that this is very much related to the kids doing terribly in school exactly. and, having, and yes. being deprived of their education. This is the focus of the system, raising money right. for human traffickers to bring in illegal immigrants by the queer activists that's just in principle. That's the focus of the system, not reading, not math. That's This is what they really care about. And it's just a matter of 
how quickly they can, can implement things. Justin, um, Governor McKee uh, appeared with these abortion activists. This goes back to in order to get Helena folks on board after he uh, supposedly beat her in the primary. Uh, but it, it has to do with this business that it's it's really they want, even though, uh, you know, most people are covered. I think Jessica De La Cruz, uh, state senator, made made a strong point that this whole business that Governor McKee, that why should taxpayers be forced to pay for it? What do you make of of him saying, you know, we're going to make this happen and uh, we're going to get it done and they're going to need to move faster on this, even though I mean, that's obviously not the way it works up there. But like of all the priorities, what do you make of of him, you know, trying to really lead the charge on this? Well, it's either payback or uh, or seeking support, because as, as we said a few minutes ago, he, sure. he doesn't have any support. He's got to just jump on these bandwagons. It's, it's like he's he's just along for the ride to some extent, whatever whatever his what he's whatever the Democrat base he thinks wants. He's he's all about it. There's no principle involved. There's no anything. It's just uh, and you could see it. In, Progressives have been having been so skeptical of him for so long. I mean, he, he almost lost the lieutenant governor race to Aaron Regenberg because right. he believes he has these progressive principles. He's just saying, my my advocacy is up for purchase. I just want to win, and whatever I have to say or do to get there will be will be just fine. And so I I see this right in keeping with the tweets he's putting out about national issues like the the lunar. Uh, the Lunar New Year tweet yeah. a few weeks ago and, and the tweet about racism in Memphis, you know, when it's black cops kill a black man, you know, he's just just ham handedly saying whatever he thinks will will gain him just even a little bit more support in his base because he's terrified uh, just he's, he's rightly terrified that he won't win because he's incompetent. He hasn't done anything. Folks, quick break. Much more ahead. Politics this week. Justin Katz, managing editor, anchorising.com right here on the John DePietro show. Propane Plus in Rhode Island for all your propane needs. Call them 401-885-4209. In Massachusetts, you can reach them at 508-252-3359. Propane Heating and Cooling, it's Propane Plus. Their team's been there three generations. They're available 24-7 for service and delivery, and they plan on serving you for a long time to come. They offer online billing ability to schedule a service delivery at the click of a button and remember all customers receive a free safety inspection on their equipment it's propane plus and remember with propane it's affordable sustainable equitable good for the environment and now it's renewable call propane plus today at 401-885-4209 in massachusetts call them at 508-252-3359 they're very easy to navigate website it's propaneplus.com. Propane Plus. Call them 401 885 4209. On the line, she has written a new book, and the book has to do stealing your vote. Christina Bob, with an introduction by of Steve Bannon. So let's see if we can locate her. She is, in fact, the attorney that um, was involved with the raid, Christina Bob, and she has this new 
Folks, joining us on the line right now on the John DePietro Show on AM 1380, 99.9 FM, the author of Stealing Your Vote, we want to welcome to the John DePietro Show, it's Christina Bob. Good afternoon on this Monday, Christina. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for having me. Congratulations on your book. Take us inside your book about what happened in 2020 and what is some of the things that people should be concerned about for 2024. Well, sorry, to take the reader through my experience, I was working as an investigative reporter at the time with One America News. I was reporting from the White House on election night and was shocked probably much the way most of your listeners were when they called Arizona for Joe Biden. And I thought, there's no way. Like, how, how they just called Florida like 15 minutes earlier. There's no way they're ready for Arizona. And so that was the first time I kind of thought, oh, man, maybe we're maybe we really are going to have a problem with this election. And, you know, of course, then they stopped counting and then it took them several days to find additional ballots and, you know, that whole situation. Uh, so I just started investigating and I, I was on the ground in Arizona for months and months with the Arizona audit. I was on the ground in Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania. And I spoke with as many elected officials in those states as I could. I spoke with county clerks, uh, city workers, uh, poll watchers, volunteers, observers, you know, everybody that I could who actually witnessed what took place. And I tried to kind of take the reader through what what happened and more so not more so than just what happened on election night, because we stole it. Right. Like, you don't need me to tell you that it was stolen. Certainly, I give the details of some of the statistics in each of the states about, you know, the number of problem ballots and all of that stuff. But more importantly, was the cover up. And the way I like to summarize the book is that Democrats stole the election and Republicans covered it up. And the book focuses on all of the things that we can all see that were problems, right? The voter rolls, the ballot stuffing, ballot trafficking, uh, no voter ID, were there illegal people voting? All all of those questions and concerns that we have that we think should be easy fixes. Uh, Why haven't they been fixed? Why weren't they fixed between 2020 and 2022? And what do we need to do to put pressure on our leaders to actually make the right changes? And uh, I, I kind of just walk everybody through where the cover-up was, what you could do in your area to get involved. And I give examples of people who have done some really great work in their local areas. And I hope that the readers want to emulate some of that. Folks, again, we're speaking with Christina Bob. The book is Stealing Your Vote. Christina, you also uh, go out, go after, I should say, some of the Republicans in your book. If you wouldn't I mind do. just touching on that a little bit. Yeah, I do. I think... Republicans were a bigger problem than Democrats. Yes, Democrats cheated, but the only reason they were able to cheat was because they had enough cowardly Republicans who were refusing to stand up and protect our elections and call out the obvious criminal activity. And so um, in all of these states, Arizona, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Georgia, there were Republicans in elected positions that should have been the sentinels that say, oh, no, that's a problem. We need to change it. And they refused to do it. And so, for example, in Pennsylvania, Doug Mastriano, Senator Mastriano there, was trying very hard to create an Arizona-style audit in Pennsylvania. He wanted to audit Pennsylvania as well. And he had so much opposition from Republicans in that state, particularly Jake Corman, the president of the Senate there. And um, I go through the detailed conversations that I had with Doug Mastriano as well as what he relayed to me about his conversations with 
Jay Corman and the other Republicans in the Senate. But the really frustrating reality, particularly about Pennsylvania, as well as most of these other states, is that Republicans, the Republicans that wanted transparency and wanted to correct the election never even got the chance to fight Democrats on the issue because they couldn't get past the Republicans. And that part, that was the most infuriating thing for me to realize that Republicans were in our way, not Democrats. Folks, again, we're speaking with Christina Bob, the book Stealing Your Vote. Christina, I'm curious because you also get into this in your book of some of the things that you believe need to be changed before the 2024 election. Yeah, well, one thing that I'd love to see changed is um, these massive county, uh, these counting facilities where they're all centralized. They centralize the county in areas like Philadelphia, uh, Milwaukee, Madison. You know, they've got centralized counts rather than counting the ballots at the precincts, which is what used to happen or, or a decentralized form of counting. And the reason why I think that's really important, and that's something that your listeners can get involved in and uh, organize and come up with a way in your county to make sure that your count is decentralized. Um, the reason why that's a problem is because it's much easier to cheat when everything is centralized in one area. You only need one or two people involved in the process. If everything is decentralized and it's spread out all over the state, then you need people all over the state who are willing to cheat. And the reality reality is I don't think most people wanted to cheat. I think they were trying to do the right thing and do uh, you know their civic duty by volunteering. And I don't think they realized that by being a part of a centralized counting facility that actually facilitates more election tampering. Um, of course, mail-in ballots is a huge problem. Some states, I think, will be better than others at getting rid of them. Uh, if you're in a state where you have the possibility of getting rid of mail-in ballots, work with your your neighbor, your friends and your family and your neighbors to petition to get rid of mail-in ballots. Make sure that you don't have this massive excess of ballots that can then just be filled out by anybody who wants to add ballots to the tally. Uh, I mean, there's a, num- there's a myriad of things, and I, I go through the, the various... Uh, scenarios in the book. Christina, I can tell you in our part of the, the country, the, the ballot harvesting is, is a huge problem where, uh, depending yeah. on the states, you know, Massachusetts, Connecticut, uh, someone can handle more than 10 ballots, but Rhode Island's actually unlimited where you have people that can drop off like 1,000 ballots. The 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 fact our, our system was never designed to have where people can go out and literally collect thousands of ballots, right? Millions, yeah, across yeah. the country. Yeah, yeah, you're right. What was it like yeah, in Arizona? Go ahead. What was it like in Arizona? Because that's that's really interesting. And I, I was shocked that Carrie Lake did not win that election. Right. She is uh, one of a kind. So you were right there on the ground in Arizona, Christina. Yeah. I was. Well, I do think Carrie Lake won that election. I think that election was stolen as well. And I think she had more than enough evidence to prove her case. I think the courts are just too timid to change the status quo. I mean, when you have elected officials who are who are go along to get along and just do whatever needs to be done so that uh, you know they can go home and ignore <laughs> ignore the government. Um, that's the kind of judges you end up with and you have a problem on your hands. But she had more than enough information. She had whistleblowers. Her attorneys were able to catch the uh, election director from Maricopa County uh, in a lie. He perjured himself on the stand and was forced to acknowledge it. And the court still didn't have a problem with that. I mean, Mm. it's really just kind of astounding to me 
that there can be so much evidence presented and the courts have just been unwilling to make an honest ruling. Uh, your introduction to your book was done by Steve Bannon. Uh, I mean, that is an unbelievable honor. What, what can you, how did you approach him and do, can you share with us that conversation? Sure. Oh, I was so, so grateful. I, I mean, of course, Steve Bannon has been uh, one of the loudest voices, you know, that I, that I personally know anyway um, on this. And uh, my, my publisher actually approached him before I did. And I, I do know Steve. I got to know him in my post-2020 work. Um, but the, the publisher actually asked if he would be willing to do it. And then once they said that he was, I was just so thrilled and I called him and was so grateful. So, um, it, it was actually the publisher, not me, but since then, you know, I, I've just been so ecstatic that he was willing to lend his voice to try to further this message. Folks, again, it's author Christina Bob, before we let it go now, Christina, this whole business, uh, you were right in the eye of the storm, but since then, this business with the documents, well, what is your reaction to yeah. President Biden with the Corvette, now Mike Pence? Yeah. Uh, what yeah. is Christina Bob's reaction to that? My reaction, so my reaction, when, the, I think it was the first day after I heard about Biden's documents, I went to a meeting, uh, one of our staff meetings, and I walked in, a friend of mine was sitting there, and I go, hey, do you see the, the Biden documents? And, uh, no, I'm sorry. I didn't even say Biden documents. I go, hey, did you see the news? But that's what I was referring to. He knew exactly what I was referring to without even saying it. And he just looked at me and he smiled. And he goes, all I can say is God loves Donald Trump. Yeah. <laughs> because it just shows the hypocrisy, like blatant, unabashed hypocrisy of the way they're applying the law to conservatives versus the way they apply the law to Democrats. So um, I think what they were trying to do, of course, was criminalize behavior that's not actually criminal there was nothing criminal about donald trump having these documents it's so common in fact that everybody in office has them the only person who is compromised with these is joe biden because we know what's on hunter biden's laptop and we know that he's sells information and uh, has used classified information to negotiate agreements for himself where joe biden gets 10 percent, you know the 10 percent kickback so the only person that has criminal exposure, as far as I can see, is Joe Biden. He was not covered by the Presidential Records Act. He didn't have the ability to declassify. And he's compromised. His son is compromised. His son is paying $50,000 a month to rent this house that didn't warrant $50,000 a month. Was he paying for access to the documents? We know he was using classified information to negotiate with foreign powers. So uh, Joe Biden should be the one that's in trouble. I don't think Mike Pence has any liability either. I mean, uh, what, did, what was Mike, Mike Pence didn't do anything wrong. So um, I think Joe Biden's the only one with any criminal liability. Of course, that's not the way the Department of Justice is going to frame it. We'll see what kind of tap dance show they want to put on here. But I don't think I don't think Donald Trump has any any liability. Yeah, I also I, I think it's also interesting. And someone brought it up of, of what's even considered classified And the example they use. Let's just say like and you you were really in the thick of this. But let's just say someone like Mike Pence. So the vice president, when he's vice president, he's going to travel to, you know, pick a state. He's going to travel to Michigan. And now his agenda that that day where he's going to go, the logistics of it. I mean, that that is considered classified information. But after the trip. Uh, then if if something like that was found, I mean, is that I, I, I don't know. I mean, that it sounds like the whole system of how we treat and what is considered classified documents needs to be revisited because 
you know, it sounds that I, I could see maybe the Secret Service needs to say maybe they there's certain intel that they don't want. But it sounds like a yeah. lot of times after the fact that that's not something yeah. that necessarily is no, you're, classified. You're exactly right. And I think that's also largely why they're not disclosing what they found. I mean, if there was something if Donald Trump were negotiating nuclear secrets with Russia, right? They could say, hey, we discovered that Donald Trump is negotiating nuclear secrets with Russia. They could say that without disclosing any classified information. But they're not because there was nothing of value in there. There was mm. nothing of any importance that, that I, I, you know, I, I think you're exactly right. And I think that's why they're hiding behind this national security, you know, shield they don't want to tell us because if they told us, everyone would be like, are you kidding me? You're putting our country through hell over nothing. But we'll we'll see what they do. All right. Just two more quick questions. And again, folks, Chris, uh, Christina, Bob, congratulations. Unbelievable new book, Stealing Your Vote, the inside story of the 2020 election, what it means for 2024. What do you make of the uh, White House press secretary and how she's handling this uh, situation with the Biden documents? Everything she says is a lie. I don't know why anybody <laughs> believes a word that comes out of her mouth at this point. Does anybody believe a word that comes out of her mouth at this yeah. point? And doing bad things. It's another to go to work and do it openly and publicly with the intent to deceive the entire country, arguably the entire world. So I, she's just she's lying. And I don't know why anybody would listen to a word she says. Yeah, I think if anything, though, it's just like repeating talking points. Like they might as well just have like a Siri up there that no matter what you ask, <laughs> this is. Email. Yeah, that's the answer that just email. comes yeah. out. It's just like kind of babbling. And also, Christina, how's the reaction been to the vote? How's the, you know, the book tour? I mean, how's the um, how, how's it been? How's how is it being an author now? It's, it's been great. And thank you so much for, for asking that. I'm really grateful for everyone's support and for their encouragement and the the most uh, the but the best compliment that I have received from a number of people at this point is that the book was easy to read. That was my number one priority because sometimes books, you know, on elections or yes. on topics like this can be hard to read. And so I tried very hard to make it like a very easy flowing narrative format. And I got compliments on that. So that really meant a lot to me. So I'm grateful for that. Yeah, I found that. I want people to know that. A friend of mine asked me and I said, you know what it is? It's the type of thing you can put it down and then I pick it up and just start reading a random section and it's interesting and it all makes sense and it's very easy to follow. Folks, again, the book, Stealing Your Vote. Christina, Bob, Christina, it's great to talk to you. Congratulations on the book and hopefully we'll talk to you again. Thank you for spending some time on the John DePietro Show. Yes, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. All right, folks, there it is. Next time you have an emergency, think at Med Urgent Care, two locations, 1524 Atwood Avenue, Johnston. That's right in the Atwood Medical Center. And also 5750 Post Road, East Greenwich, right across from Felicia's. At Med Urgent Care, when you have an emergency, they specialize ambulatory medicine. They provide immunization, school, and sports physicals. At At Med Urgent Care, they provide comprehensive outpatient health care to individuals, families. They're on duty at all times. They're open seven days a week. Walk-in routine urgent care, minor surgical. Now, if you're in a car accident, go to Atman Urgent Care. Avoid the long wait at the emergency rooms. They also do adult vaccinations, laboratory testing. Atman Urgent Care, when it's an emergency, 
1524 Atwood Avenue in Johnston. That's right, in the Atwood Medical Center. And also 5750 Post Road, East Greenwich, online at admedurgentcare.net. Let's hear um, Deadly Day starting off with... Uh with the Woonsocket homicide. Away after a 70-year-old man was found dead. This all unfolding on Cato Street. Police say it was a domestic incident. And that's where we find 12 News reporter Amanda Pitts live with the breaking details. Amanda? Well, Mike Shaden, police tell me a 70-year-old man was found dead in this white home here on Cato Street uh. in Woonsocket and is still a very active scene here at 10 o'clock. I'm told his two daughters are now being questioned, and it's believed that one of those daughters could be involved. Again, this happened here on Cato Street in Woonsocket at about 4.45 p.m. The medical examiner left a short time ago with that victim's body. Right now, investigators are on the first floor of that home. We have seen flashes going off, which tells us investigators are taking photos of that scene inside and police right now are on the outside porch of this home as well again Woonsocket police chief thomas oates tells me the victim here is a 70 year old man his two daughters are being questioned by police right now but no one has been charged chief oates tells me it is believed that one of those daughters could be involved here now i did ask just how that victim was killed and chief oates says it is just too early on in this investigation to share that information we'll bring you the latest as we learn them both live on air and online for now live in Woonsocket, amanda pitts 12 news all right so good job by uh we'll stay with amanda or stay with uh, channel 12 i saw them yesterday i was in providence now i've heard with the winsocket situation it was again i something about he was going to maybe sell the home and the daughters didn't like it and heard about it and so forth but then you had a woman shot and killed yesterday afternoon in providence two on the same day this was also broad daylight both homicides were in the afternoon. This is not, a lot of times, as someone that follows it, it's a lot of this stuff seemingly um, is after midnight. Not this. Investigating the city's first homicide of the year. It happened this afternoon on Prudence Ave in the city's Silver Lake neighborhood, not far from the Cranston line. 12 News reporter Kayla Fish spoke to police tonight. She joins us live from that scene with the latest. Kayla? Well, Mike Shannon, you can see this scene is still active as it has been throughout the night. A portion of Prudence Avenue here in Providence remains blocked off with crime scene tape behind me as detectives continue working to piece together what led to a woman being shot and killed here today. Oh. We have several officers on scene within minutes. Police cruisers and emergency response vehicles filling Prudence Avenue in Providence Monday afternoon, where police tell us a woman was shot and killed. So what happened earlier today, about 2 o'clock or so, we got a call for a, a shooting. We responded from a female victim. Acting Police Chief Oscar Perez telling 12 News a woman was found at this home in critical condition. She was rushed to the hospital and later pronounced dead. Her death ruled a homicide. Now the detectives are here. We're investigating it. Uh, we're going to conduct a total investigation. Detectives remaining on scene throughout the afternoon and into the night. We watched as investigators went in and out of the building using flashlights to search each floor. Police focusing on what appears to be the third floor of the home, taking photos inside. Mayor Brett Smiley telling 12 News he's saddened by the shooting. In a statement, Smiley says, quote, Violent crime like this affects our entire community, especially when it results in a tragic loss. 
Now, police tell us tonight they have a person in custody, but that person has not been charged at this hour. Police have not yet released the identities of those involved in this incident. Of course, this is still a very active investigation. We'll continue tracking this story and bring you the latest details on air and on WPRI.com. That's the latest live in Providence tonight. I'm Kayla Fish, 12th News. Now, again, it's something I want to point out, folks, is... um. There's a lot of talk about this assistant principal in Providence, uh, Mount Pleasant High School, who sent out an email to staff saying she was trying to help a student raise money because the individuals that enabled him to get over the border, they demand payment. It was $5,000. You can imagine just how lucrative this business is. But in that he needed the money by February 1st. But what what I find um, has not really come to light is how much that the state has now. And you can start with, you know, Mayor Lorza obviously made the state a very, well, sanctuary city. It really started down this path with Governor Chafee. It started with Governor Chafee. If you remember, Rhode Island Governor Don Kachiri, he he was the opposite he wouldn't allow companies, if you had illegals, to clean the courthouses. So, and he used E-Verify. Chafee started going down that road. Then it really started to take root under Gina Raimondo. But she would not issue driver's licenses. Where things really have kicked into high gear is really just, number one, the huge uh, amount of illegals entering the country. As you know, the border is essentially an open border right now under the Biden administration. And now let's bring in... Rhode Island Governor Dan McKee, and also his lackey Lieutenant Sabina Matos, and those two, and just in the year and a half that they have been office, they almost it'll be two years for Governor McKee coming up in March. So almost two full years that he's been in charge of the state. The amount of illegals entering the state, the amount that he has gone out of his way to create an environment and be and really make the state a magnet to bring more of them uh, illegals in. It, it just can't be underestimated. And so now, remember, this was also a game changer as Governor McKee and his Lieutenant Governor Matos have also announced they're going to have driver's licenses. So a, a couple of thoughts on this number and observations. Number one, this student that the assistant principal was trying to help out, he's I, I don't believe he's the only one. Now, number two, I, if you visit Petro.com, I have been talking quite some time about the amount of cartel violence that happens in Rhode Island. And Governor McKee, to me, this is he sees no downside. He gets votes and he brings in, allows all these illegals to come in. And you, every taxpayer has to foot the bill. But one of the downsides of this that they never talk about is now look at the cartel violence. Think how many times in the past six months you'll hear of state police, they pull over, you know, some men, some people on 95, 12, 30, 1 o'clock in the morning. And, it, and, it's, and it's like, what are they doing here, right? They're like from New York or they're from out of state and they're found traveling through the state and they have criminal records and they're dangerous, and you start to wonder, you know, what are they, why are they, why are they coming through Rhode Island? Well, a lot of them are connected to the cartels, and a lot of them act as enforcers or hitmen for the cartels. 
So Governor McKee, to me, and, and I, I'm already willing to guess the media is going to give him a free pass on this because they, they treat it like, oh, no, you know, it's a Providence problem. Yeah, well, it, it's not a Providence problem because if you're inviting dangerous drug cartels and their enforcers that want to come in and collect from people that they feel owe them money, which is what's going on. Well, now you're endangering everyone. It is a matter of time. Governor McKee, in all his solution, he just beefs up his own state police security um, patrol or, assist, you know, group that protects him. He, he is just setting up. It is a matter of time before there's going to be a very violent, a lot of the violence is going to spill over. And it's going to be some kind of a cartel shootout uh, somewhere near Providence Place Mall, somewhere downtown, somewhere, you know, near one of the hotels. And they are ruthless. And it doesn't, there's no matter of, you know, they don't touch women or children. or There's nothing like that. They are ruthless killers and they want their money. This is what Governor McKee is unleashing in the state. So this student at Mount Pleasant that owes the cartel essentially 5000 and he needs the money by February 1st, which is tomorrow, or if not, then they come looking for him. And as I have reported on, and I'll put myself more than anyone, you know, houses shot up. A lot of times, a lot of the crimes, sometimes it doesn't make sense. Now it all makes sense. Governor McKee and Matos are are turning Rhode Island, creating an atmosphere in Rhode Island where you're going to have international violence, international killers coming in. This is a guy, he never should have been put in charge. Never. And he's also not who the people wanted. He is so reckless. Doesn't think beyond. The only thing he cares about is to make sure his home in Cumberland will be protected. What does Governor McKee want to do? He wants to take away weapons from law-abiding citizens and create an atmosphere where international drug killers from the cartel come into Rhode Island looking to collect debts from some of the illegals that burn them in the payments that they owe them to get them into the country. This is the Rhode Island that McKee and Matos is turning the place into the M&M McKee and Matos you watch you mark my words it's a matter of time I'm not saying it's going to happen today I'm not saying it's going to happen tomorrow but when you create this type of atmosphere and all these people that you're attracting and recruiting and having them come in and many of them have outstanding debts to very dangerous individuals in other countries Governor McKee is blindly creating an atmosphere. You you watch. It's a matter of time on the numbers. This violence is going to spill over, and then everyone's going to be wondering what you know what happened. Get the most of your outdoor space with Limitless Outdoors. Call today for a free quote. Four zero one. 580-1852. Limitless Outdoors. They specialize in patios, walkways, 
steps. They did a fantastic job on my outside steps. Outdoor kitchens, landscape lighting, retaining walls, lawn installations, excavation. Call Limitless Outdoors today. Let's dream, build, and enjoy. 401-580-1852. Based in Smithfield, Limitless Outdoors. They also do indoor fireplaces or outdoor fireplaces limitless outdoors call them today free quote get the most of your outside you're gonna love what they can do for you 401-580-1852 401-580-1852 limitless outdoors dream build enjoy